0: welcome to the testimony podcast people of faith telling the stories that matter from their lives i'm your host andrew chamberlain and i'm delighted that you can join us for this conversation you can subscribe to the testimony podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on twitter at TestimonyCast and instagram at testimony podcast And welcome to episode 15 of the Testimony Podcast. My guest today grew up in what she calls a double clergy family. That is, both her mother and father were priests in the Church of England. As a result of this, she and her family lived in clergy houses and they moved with the requirements of the jobs that her parents had. And things were not always easy for them as she grew up and she would often get angry with God, sometimes believing that he had stopped caring about her, that he had more important matters to attend to and had somehow forgotten her. But she eventually discovered the truth that God did still care for her and that, in her words, he always repays. My guest today is Eleanor Smith, a theologian, and advocate for justice, and this is her story. Eleanor, welcome to the Testimony podcast. It's great to have you with us today. I want to start by asking you if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing and what you're doing now.
1: Great. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. It's lovely to be here. I'm Eleanor Smith. I um, I used to be Nell Goddard, but I recently got married and went full of, for a full rebrand, which is very confusing. I still feel like I'm in trouble anytime anyone calls me Eleanor, but we're working on it. We're five months in. Um, I live in central London. Um, as I said, been married about five months. I work for International Justice Mission UK, which is the largest anti-slavery organisation in the world. Um, and I do church partnerships for them. So I spend a lot of my time talking with churches and church leaders about justice and discipleship and what it might look like um, to love Jesus and also love justice. In terms of upbringing, that's like feels like a really big question. I mean, I'm only 26, but it feels like a lot of years to cover. So I am a double clergy child. So both my parents are ordained. Um, they started training for ministry when I was six months old. So I've never wow. not known ministry And we moved around a lot because of how ministry works with training and then curacies and then jobs and then jobs. And so I'd lived in eight houses by the time I was 16. I went to three different secondary schools, two different primary schools. I absolutely aced Freshers' Week at university because of it, because I just knew how to do do new things and new people. Um, But as someone who doesn't really like change, I found... That whole moving around a lot quite baffling and a little bit overwhelming mm. at times. Yeah, that's kind of an overview of um of of who I am and, and what that looked like mm. growing up.
0: I'm intrigued by this idea that that you were kind of moving eight you moved eight times before you were 16 and you obviously went to different schools. And I mean, how how was that for you? How did you deal with that? Did that did that impact your faith at all?
1: I mean, I think everything in some ways impacts your faith because so it's so formative. Um your early years are so formative and how you how you grow up, the people you grew up around, the way that you talk about things, the way that you do things always forms you. I think some things which I remember very clearly. I remember being five years old and we we're moving from Whitney to Oxford, which is literally like 20 minutes down the road. My parents were leaving their curacy and starting at a new job in Oxford. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night in floods of tears because I couldn't remember where the toilet was in our new house. And that Mm. really scared me because when you're five, Mm. that's scary. That's Um, a big
0: deal, isn't it? Yeah. It
1: is. It is. There were two toilets, turns out, but I couldn't remember where either of them were. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But also the thing that I remember is that my parents were always adamant that they involved us in decisions. Um, Mm. And so what that looked like was even when we were five years old, it was okay. We're going to go look at these two different houses that we have choices to live in. Yeah, and you you get you get to you get to have a say. Um, you get to um, say like what you might where you might want to live, what you might want to do, and then we would like. I remember kind of being three, and my parents being like, "Okay, well, obviously three year olds don't really get a say in this kind of stuff, but I want like them sitting down and be like, I want you to to draw me like, what are you scared about? What are you excited mm. about? What are you worried mm. about?" And then Mm. we take that to Jesus together. Mm. And so from a really young age, I was always, I always knew that God cared about me, even when I was small and insignificant, because my parents made it really clear that what I thought and how I felt mattered to their ministry. Mm. And so that Mm. ended up being a, a root that, although the tree from which that root grew was shaken at times I actually never really lost that inkling that maybe God cared about me too so yeah moving moving around a lot when you're when you're small is children are adaptable aren't they and I didn't like change but I'm adaptable and that was cool Um, and when I was a teenager that was a lot harder yeah um I moved we moved at before I started my GCSEs at the end of my GCSEs. So I did year seven to nine in one school, 10 and 11 in another school, and sixth form in another school. Okay. Um, And some of those moves were a lot messier than others. Some involved temporary accommodation, some involved illnesses, some involved, you know, drama, um, as these things often do. Yeah. But I never, I never doubted. What? No, I never doubted. That's probably not fair. I think I did doubt. But I could never get rid of that—that that little niggling feeling that maybe God did care, <laughs> even if I was really cross with Him at the time. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure you—you know—I'm sure you did have moments of that. It's interesting, from my point of view, in that it makes me think about agency—the agency that you may have felt you had—links to your sense of worth as a person, as a Christian. Um, I wonder if there's there's something in that for people to reflect on that actually if you have, if you're dealing with people then maybe you're dealing with your children or maybe you're dealing with other, anybody, I suppose that if you give them choice and agency, then you're valuing them somehow.
1: Yeah. And, and also I think when you're a clergy kid, you can so often feel like God forgot you in the calling of your parents. Like he called your parents and clergy have a very often have a very clear sense of calling and they're going to get ordained and all of this. Yeah. Clergy kids can just be along for the ride. And actually, when you're a clergy kid and you grow up in the goldfish bowl that is a vicarage and people are watching you and certain things are expected of you that are never expected of other children and people say things to you and ask questions of you that they would never dream of asking any other children. (laughs) Actually, to have parents who say to you like actually you can have a choice here like you do have like you don't have a choice in some things like yes actually fundamentally I'm called to be a clergy but my mum always said like I'm not I'm not not called to be a mother like I'm called to be both of them and therefore there are times when the way she explains it to me is that there were times when her calling to be a clergy had to come first because there was a student she was a chaplain in a college there was a student who had committed suicide or attempted suicide in the middle of the night. And she had to go to the hospital and be with them. So she wasn't there when we woke up. But there were also moments where actually being a mother took precedence and she turned down meetings to be at my trumpet recital when I was 11. Yes. Yeah. Those kind of things. And actually, I think you have to, as a child, you often only see the things that you lose. You don't see the things that you gain. And so with hindsight, age 26, I can look back and be like, actually... Although at the time, there were moments where I was like, God, you forgot me. You literally, where did you go? You forgot me in the calling of my parents. I'm just along for the ride. I'm a grandchild of God. You don't actually care. Um, With hindsight, I can look back and be like, okay, my parents, they did so well. They juggled so much and they loved us as best they could considering the madness that surrounds clergy life. And I'm so grateful for how they did that.
0: Mm. And I think some people listening to this that will actually affect them, that will impact them, because they will have had some experience of this in you know their own version of of that. Or maybe we could come then to thinking about some of the stories from your life where maybe you felt God is close to you, and it, or it, it could have been that you were just angry with God. It could have been you were delighted with God. It could there's just different interpretations I suppose isn't there can you just share with us perhaps one or two stories about your encounter with God and your companionship with Christ in your life then
1: yeah I would I would love to and I was thinking about this in preparation for this conversation and there were so many different things I could talk about um you can talk about moment that you understood that as a child you have a ministry even when you're five years old Mm. Um, and so I remember I must have been Mm. actually under five I think about three or four and my first experience of being alongside someone who had suffered a miscarriage and my parents always operated an open home policy and people were always in and out and they were always welcome
0: Mm. and I
1: remember being three years old and just being held by a lady who was just sobbing because she just had her third miscarriage And Mm. she didn't like, she had, she had nothing. She didn't know what to do. And my mom was just like, if you need a child to hug, like he, like, and she was, she's like my fairy godmother. I still think of her as like my fairy godmother. She, she, I grew up to, to, she's a wonderful friend, but that kind of alongside-ness and actually sometimes discipleship, sometimes being a Christian, sometimes loving Jesus just looks like showing up and sticking around even when you're three and it just looks like okay, I'm here, and it doesn't look like fixing it. It just means existing with someone, being mm. alongside someone, and so that would be that would be one one moment that I mean, it comes with hindsight, doesn't it? I three years old, I wasn't thinking, gosh, I've got a great ministry. I was thinking, oh, I love a cuddle. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. But I think
1: that would be that would be one one of them.
0: As you say, you may not have been able to articulate a lot of that at three years old, but you've described that as as having a sense of ministry and alongsideness, which, which is a wonderful word. What was your sense of gifting or calling then? What, what, even, even as a three-year-old, what, what did you, what did you feel was happening when you were perhaps hugging that, that lady? And you, you must've known at some level that she was in distress or upset, I guess.
1: I think I remember having a conversation with my mom. I was like, why is she so sad? Mm. My mum was like, "Well, she she lost her baby," and I was like, "Oh, she seems sadder, like outwardly sadder than than her husband." And I was like, "I wonder why that is." And I remember saying to my mum "Like, oh, well, maybe she feels a level of responsibility because it was like it. She was she, she she was looking after the baby, like she was growing it, wasn't she?" Mm. My mum just being like, "Yeah," and that's that's why we have to show her extra care and extra mm. love because she's hurting mm. inside as well. Um and um I think the alongsideness of being a three-year-old, something which I've always I've always felt and have continued to feel is the power of friendship and that kind of just just being and just existing mm. and just holding mm. space for people. Mm. And I, I always I I often always want to fix people. I want to fix things, I want to offer solutions, not comfort. <laughs> but actually. A three-year-old can never really offer solutions. All they can do is draw you a crayon to picture and give you a cuddle, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And there's something about that childlike alongsideness, a childlike love that does not judge, it does not ask questions, it does not try to fix it. It just is. And when Jesus says, "Like be like children," I think perhaps he's thinking about a three-year-old who lets a woman who's just suffered her third miscarriage cuddle her as she cries into her hair, mm. like mm. actually. It's, it's not complicated, but it's somehow really difficult, right? Um, <laughs> and it's just like an alongsideness that kind of, I don't know, it's just children have a really powerful part to play in ministry, which often we want, I think people often rightly want to protect their children from getting hurt. But actually, when you allow children to see the brokenness of the world, and then you point them to the goodness of God, despite that, you gift them something so much deeper than what you would have done if you'd protected them from being like from seeing or being hurt in the first place. Mm. And mm. obviously there are, you know, parameters around that of statement yes. in regards to safeguarding and all of yeah, that yeah. stuff. Of However, course. I just I can name moments like when we were, I must have been about 10, 10 years old, nine or 10 years old. And we spent uh one of one of us one of my mom's students decided to spend her 21st birthday taking us to the local fair. And I was like, looking back at it, I'm like, why was this 21-year-old student wanting to spend her biggest birthday with two under-10s at a fair? Um, but it was like literally the greatest day. I had such a great time. I still yeah. remember absolutely loving it. And that yeah. this, that, that like, okay, children don't tend to ask questions. And if they do, they ask them because they are interested and they care, not because they're digging. Um, and they just love without boundaries. And I think mm-hmm. that... Yeah. The Mm. thing that I come back to with that is that friendship, um, that unconditional, okay, this is who you are. I love you. So Mm. what's next?
0: Mm. And it sounds like there's a sense of growing an an innate empathy in that. And that's just, that it's obviously part of the gifting and calling that you have uh, that may have, that may have, I suspect has grown over time. So you can draw on the you can draw on the beauty and simplicity of how you might have been innately empathetic when you were a little child, but then add to it the skills and knowledge and experience that you build as you get older.
1: i think I think I also learned in that time that God always repays. So mm-hmm. that same couple, um when my mum got really sick for about, she was bed bedridden for six months because um she had to change the medication okay and that couple moved into our house and they looked after me and my brother for six months mm. and mm. and I remember you know this lady would come and pick me up from school and we'd go and see my mom and my mum could barely move out of bed I'd try and climb into her bed and cuddle her and this lady would be like okay dinner time and mm. what I learned was that but God always gives back in abundance and we don't we don't give of ourselves to get back what God gives back to us, but God is so faithful in returning to us what we have offered yes and, and I think that was that was something that was a very powerful lesson for me when when I saw that God is kind and his economy is greater than perhaps we could dare to imagine,
0: yes, I wondered if there was another. Maybe another, another moment or moments, it doesn't have to be just one or two that you could share with us.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, So fast forward a whole bunch of years and um, my mum had reached the end of her tenure at at a college as a chaplain and she moved to a theological college. And that was quite frankly, a bit of a disaster. Um, And it was, it was messy. And so for, for about, Between the ages of 11 and 14, there was a lot of difficulties and accusations of bullying and discrimination uh, resulted in legal struggles within the theological college. It was an absolute dumpster fire. (laughs) It's a polite way of putting it. (laughs) And we lived opposite the college. Right. And staff members left and my parents um, decided for a number of reasons to stay um so they, were they both working
0: at this college then they were okay.
1: both working there, and I just remember moments like my parents coming back from a big dinner at the um at the college and my mum was in absolutely floods of tears and my dad was not an angry man was absolutely raging I thought he was going to like explode punch a wall something like that he was yeah. just so cross and I was like what has happened here and my parents as I said my parents always had a policy of being completely open with us we could ask everyone they would tell us what we could within the understanding of you know you're small you might not understand all of this sure but there was this kind of understanding that actually if we asked we'd get told and so obviously we asked and we were told that that there was there was bullying there was discrimination people were being fired on um unjustly hence the employment tribunals there was um it was just horrible and my parents decided to stay um for longer than 75 percent of the other staff partially because my brother was in the middle of his GCSEs um and so moving was going to be really like tricky yeah and also they had a they they felt God's call to stay and to act justly love mercy and walk humbly with him yes and so they They stayed, and uh, I actually I still struggle to put into words the effect that those three years had on my home life and my family dynamics and my faith. Because you know I'm 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 a writer by trade, and I'm always in awe of people who can write hurt like about times that hurt them really beautifully. And I still haven't found the poetic words to talk about what happened Mm. because it's still I just someone someone who claimed to follow the same God as me was taking away everything I knew and loved. Mm. And so about, I must've been about 12 or 13. My brother was, it was a May um, of my brother's first year of GCSEs. And my parents were called into this principal's office and told that there had been a staff reshuffling and um, their jobs were no longer required. And that meant that they no longer had an income. They no longer had jobs. And we no longer had a house to live in because as often as with clergy jobs, the house is yeah. attached to the yeah. role. And my parents, we put on gardening leave for a year. And because of the nature of what was going on and the confidentiality agreements that were flying around, we couldn't tell anyone. So my brother and I knew all that was going on because, you know, of course we did. But we went to school with children of other staff members who had no idea. And we had to go to school knowing that in a few months we would be leaving that city, school, home. We didn't know, but we couldn't tell anyone. And clergy kids are, by their very nature, quite good at keeping secrets. Like we understand confidentiality. You overhear so many, so much juicy gossip as a clergy kid because walls are thin and you're taking tea to people. And those, that kind of burden of secrecy and understanding the, the dynamics and watching someone take away everything that I knew and loved. And I'd only recently, age 11, I can made that commitment to Jesus. Like I want to follow Jesus. And suddenly someone who trained people to be vicars was like, now nah, I'm taking away everything. I was like, God, who are you? Because I, I know something of who you are, but the, the God of my childhood of those like Sunday school stories and my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. Those kind of songs had gone, and suddenly God was just like covered by this big cloud of ow <laughs> and anger and like I don't understand. And I think back to it, and you know, 11, 11 to fourteen year olds kind of think they know know what's happening, and they're pretty cool, and they know all the answers. And I think back on it, and I think, yeah, okay. Um, But then I look back and I think, how, how did, how did we do it? How, how did we, how did I get up and go to school every day? How did I go and play at the house of the children Mm. of Mm. the, the staff members who were doing this? How, like, how did I hold in my heart and in my head, those two things of your parent is wrecking my life, but I really like playing with you because you're my friend and like how a person's ability to hold in their head and their heart two completely opposing things and learning, just, just trying to work that out. And we got to the May before we were supposed to leave and we had to until the August and my brother was doing his GCSEs and my parents still don't have any jobs to go to. And so we had to to go into school one day and tell our friends that we were leaving, but we didn't know where we were going. And I remember standing in the the gym hall, waiting for um, one of the staff members' sons to come in because he was in my year group. Um, And I knew that I had to tell him before I told any of my other friends because everyone knew that our parents worked together And I knew that I had to go up to him and say like, you need to know that I'm telling people today that we're leaving, but we don't know where we're going because my parents have lost their jobs. And I just, I think back on it and I just remember like the sadness of it and the the not being able to understand it and be like, God, where did you go? Mm. Why, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting Christians do this? Like, why do I have to go in and tell all my friends who I've been through primary school with since year one that I'm leaving the city that I live when my parents didn't do anything wrong and we're having to suffer because of it. Um, and I just, yeah, the, the cost of ministry had hit home. Like I just fundamentally I wanted out. Um, yeah. I was so cross. I was yeah. so angry. I was so scared for my parents I was so scared for what it would look like if we we ended up with nowhere to live and they say people often joke that God is into 11th hour rescue missions but this felt like it was beyond the joke (laughs) and um, so we moved from Oxford to Bristol just three days before we were due to be kicked out of our home. And I remember as we, I remember sitting on the the kitchen side as my mum was cleaning the empty house. And I just remember being like, I feel sad about this. And I just like owning that and being like, I yeah. feel sad about this. And I remember yeah. we drove out of, the, out of the driveway and there's this big bump on the curb every time that we drove out of it. And I remember that big bump and I was like, okay, looking back at the house that I had loved, but had held so much, <laughs> yeah, technical yeah. term um, <laughs> so much angst and confusion and fear and looking back on that I've been like okay god what's what's next and we moved to Bristol and I didn't have a school place my brother had a school place to start in sick form because it's easier to get children into a new sick form than it is to yes. get them into a school yeah. I was starting year 10 I didn't have a school place um all the state schools were full um, we couldn't afford private schools because as aforementioned lol clergy stipend. Yeah. Um, and my mum didn't have a job, so we we're on my dad's salary, and um I was supposed to be starting my my GCSEs, and my mum we decided to homeschool me, which to be honest, like I love my mum, it was an absolute disaster. Um, we're not we're not our relationship isn't made for homeschooling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um and so for a month, um, we we're in a new city, new church, new job for my dad, new school for my brother, and my mum decided to take it upon herself every night to pray for a miracle for, for a school place for me. And I was not on speaking terms with God at this point. I was mighty cross with him. I was like, "You made me leave. You made me leave my friends, my school. I loved it. Made me leave my church." Um, I'm not talking to you. you you're you done. Like, you clearly don't care about me. Um, if you do, you're sh- you have a really shoddy way of showing it. So, like, mum would be like, let's pray for a miracle. I'd be like, you go right ahead. I am not talking to God. Um, and mum would just insist on praying for a miracle. And I got really cross with her. I was like, don't you understand God's forgotten me? Like, he doesn't care. Like, he's he's. It, I'm clearly at the bottom of his to-do list. <laughs> there are other things more important than me to him. Um, the rage of a fourteen-year-old, yeah, um, which can which be pretty like, strong, can't it? <laughs> Actually. Oh, yeah, it can be pretty strong. Yeah. Um, and so we we got to we got to the October, and and somebody recommended that we try and get a um, a place at a private school, and I could apply for a scholarship. And went to the school; it was lovely. I loved it. And and we heard back that I got a scholarship and I got a bursary. Um, but I still we still couldn't afford the school because clergy stipend. Yeah. Uh, one income. We couldn't afford yeah. it. And I was like, God, now you're just teasing me. Like, this is cruel. Like, don't yeah. dangle things and then take them away. And then one Thursday at the beginning of October, it was, a, it was a Thursday at the beginning of October, we got a phone call. I was in the middle of attempting to teach myself German because homeschooling and anyway, it was a disaster. Um, but we got a phone call from, from the headmistress of this school. And who said, for the first this has only happened once in my 10 years of being headmistress this school but we've had an anonymous donation to the school to fund a girl's education to the end of sick form and we want to give it to Nell that was on the Thursday and I started school on the Monday fully funded place at that private school that I loved when I visited that I got a scholarship for we got a bursary form we still couldn't afford and we got I got a place completely fully funded and I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that was the moment that my faith came back because it wasn't because no. I was still really cross and I yeah. still was wrestling. It wasn't the moment that convinced me that God cared for me, but it was a chink of light and it was yes. that like, little reminder of yes. what we talked about earlier in terms of maybe God does care about me, yeah. even in the yeah. calling of my parents, even in the mess. Maybe God cares. And yeah.
0: I want to explore a couple of things from that story. It sounds like you didn't come to the point where you said actually I don't believe God exists. I've completely checked out, not interested. I'm, I've left, you know, emotionally, mentally. I'm gone. That actually you had almost enough faith to be angry at him still, or faith that he existed at least, or faith in an expectation of him. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I never I never I've never doubted that God existed that's never been any I've seen too many miracles to doubt that God exists you grow up in a, in a vicarage and you you see miracles pretty much daily yeah but I doubted that he cared about me okay which in some ways feels harder yeah because I just I was like well, clearly I just don't matter because my parents calling is bigger and better and therefore it takes priority I kind of figured that that God's love was a zero sum game. And if he loved one person, he wouldn't have any left for me. Or if he called one person, you know, you know, classic, classic teenage reasoning. right? But but actually like, I didn't, I just thought he'd forgotten or that he didn't care or that, you know, it says in Psalms like, why'd you turn your face away from me? I was like, clearly he's busy elsewhere and has forgotten what happened. Like what, what about me? And, and there were, there were moments of God showing up in, really unexpected ways so when my mum was he was he was he, the way I phrase it is that he was to be found in the quietest and the most unlikely of places so in the meal vouchers that we that a, a group of people clubbed together and gave us 150 pounds of M&S meal vouchers when my mum was too sick to cook yeah um and yeah. we just shoved our freezer full of full of food M&S food it was Best time we've eaten the best for years. To be honest with you, no offense to my mum's cooking, it was great. Um, but um, or the my godfather um, lived in Newcastle, and he obviously knew all that was going on and yeah. my mum, was like, "What? What can I do?" And she's like, "You just need to come and look after now. Like she won't talk to us. She's she's gone into herself." Yeah. Um, and I remember he drove down from Newcastle to Oxford, and he took me pottery painting um because he was like what do you want to do i was like i want to paint a jug obviously um (laughs) and um he took me pottery painting and he just let me sit there and just cry while i painted a rainbow on a jug
0: um we still have the
1: jug um and so it was it it was it wasn't i yeah i guess it was that not that i didn't think god existed it was that i i i didn't understand what his care looked like anymore because it was coming in different ways and I was too cross to fully grasp it. And obviously yeah. hindsight is 2020 and I can see yeah. the moments now. But at the time, it just hurt. It just hurt.
0: And the other thing I wanted to ask you about was that I thought was quite interesting was like when this, like when all the money appeared, you know, like suddenly, I won't say magically, but you know, suddenly it was all like it was all there. But you didn't immediately go okay god we're all fine now and you know we're all happy and it's and there was there was almost like a period of time where you still had to work through your anger and your disappointment and you know it didn't all just come good immediately so how did that work for you because i think it would be good for people to hear that actually when they've been through something really bad that actually when things turn around you don't it doesn't mean that everything's fine again immediately so how did that process work for you
1: It was a long process. Okay. Um, And actually, I think it would, I still have days where I work through it, Um, and I still have moments where um, something happens, and I'm like, oh, that's that's pushing on a bruise I didn't know was still there. Yeah. Um, However, I think it was five years. It was at least five years. So we did two years in Bristol, and I was so happy. Oh, man, our church was amazing. I loved my school. And then we moved again because God... Asked us to move again. And so my mum got a job in London and we moved again. And I again was like, God, I just settled. Like I just, like, I'd just begun to trust that maybe there was something here again. And then we moved. And so there we were. And I was doing my A levels. And my brother had gone off in a gap year to uni. And there's something about siblings that mean that they can understand what no one else can.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. my brother had gone and so I was in a new school and again we'd had a miraculous moment where I got a school place and the head of sick form had, had greeted me at the door and and said like we don't have any space and then she looked me in the eye and then she said um but I'm a clergy kid and this exact same thing happened to me and I will move heaven enough to make sure you leave this building with a school place today mm-hmm. and I got a school place again mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah um but those two years of Bristol and two years at Sick Foreman in London, I was just really angry. And because I felt so out of control with life, I wrestled control from where I could. So um, food and schoolwork and particular things and perfectionism and hygiene and hand-washing. And I just, I did what I could and I was, Mm -hmm. I got quite unwell um, in terms of, um, depression and I lost a lot of weight and I wasn't I was sleeping like 15 hours a day and just kind of going to school and then for my lessons and then leaving and not really engaging and I just and I went it feels like a cliche but I went on a gap year <laughs> um I um I went on a gap year to Zanzibar with Tier Fund and okay um it was there that I I think it was being able to get out of clergy child life out of Vicarage life and I was because I just I found the expectations of other people in Vicarage life very overwhelming. People always watching mm. um mm. although there are obviously amazing moments and I love I loved a lot of it. I just there was just this kind of pressure of you have to be a certain way. Um not from anyone else necessarily or from some no. people but never from my family. Yeah. It yeah. just and getting out of that meant that I spent some time when I was away for for three months actually beginning to to unpick some of what had gone on and I remember God saying to me really clearly give me the control and watch what I can do with it and I basically reached the end of myself I was like I have nothing left like I I don't I'm still so angry but I know that you're good and I don't know how to hold those two intention and mm. I'm raging at God and suddenly mm. he just like interrupts you with love and you're like well this isn't what I expected um, mm. <laughs> and like you're you're it's like you're nose to nose with God and you're yelling and you're screaming and you're like God I'm really cross with you why aren't you getting angry at me um and I think of that scene in um in Harry Potter where Harry is getting really cross with Dumbledore because Sirius has just died spoilers um and, and he's like, why aren't you getting, why aren't you responding to my anger? And Dumbledore's just like, because I think you have a right to be angry.
0: Yes. And yeah.
1: that's the moment where yeah. God was basically like, you have a right to be angry. Like, I'm cross too, because you were treated unfairly. People misuse their power and they hurt you. And you you can be angry about that. Like, that's okay. But don't, like, don't be angry at me. Like, I love you. Um. And I guess working through that, working through a, a, a distinct level of unforgiveness at what had happened and what people had done, and just being like, I'm going to hold on to this grudge in the hope that maybe one day I'll be able to punch someone in the face about it, um, which turns out doesn't really work. Um, <laughs> weird that. Um, and just working through some of that and trying to like understand renounce some lies which I'd started to kind of believe in about like myself and about God and be like okay God I'm not gonna look to who people say that you are and who they show you to be I'm gonna look to who you say that you are and the best way that I know to do that is to look to Jesus Mm. and to read the gospels and to ask Mm. God to reveal himself to me and freedom didn't come instantly but it came pretty quickly when i began to do that and i stopped looking at what other people said god was and started looking at who god said god was yeah and that that kind of helped
0: did you use any um any of the more kind of honest bits of the old testament or any lamentation from there or anything in scripture which is an expression of people's general uh, grumpiness and discontent with God to actually accompany you through any of that.
1: Um, initially, no, I was too cross to hang out in the Bible. I was like, "Mate, you have nothing to say to me."
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but I remember being sat in a in a room in in Zanzibar with uh, one of the women that I met about who was incredible and she mm. was like have you ever read the book of lamentations so I was like you what now didn't even know it existed <laughs> and um she read me the classic like um bitterness and the gore my soul is overwhelmed downcast within me but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed his compassions yeah. never fail they are new every morning great is thy faithfulness and I remember being like oh so we're allowed to be cross with God and He's still good and we can hold, like, I was amazed at Lamentations when I read mm. it about that ability mm. to hold within itself. And you see the same in the Psalms, but I hadn't yet, you know, hung out with them. Um, you see this ability to hold, like, God, I'm really sad and I'm really angry and I don't know where you've gone. Like, Lamentations ends with, like, maybe you've forgotten us. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe you've forgotten us. In the middle, in that midpoint, you find... Great is your faithfulness, your compassion is in you every morning. Mm. And so it was that when I was like, okay, maybe because the God of of Sunday school stories had gone, that suddenly there was a God who was bigger than five loaves and two fishes and bigger than calming the storm. He Mm. was a God who could hold anger and upset and hurt and rage and be like, I'm okay with you being like that.
0: Mm. I still
1: love you. I'm still faithful. Mm. And my little brain spent a long time trying to make sense of that. And I never think I fully grasped it. I would be amazed if anyone ever has because you know, God, um, but that was, that was a moment that really sticks with me.
0: Yeah. And it is a, I mean, like people listening to this, if this is a, Revelation and a journey that I think lots of, perhaps everybody, needs to go on at some point, where you suddenly realise that actually, great men and women of God over the centuries have railed against God, shouted at Him, sulked, got upset, laid down under bushes, you know, said I've had enough, all of that, done the the kind of Elijah thing, and and at the end of it, actually, there is still God, and there is still a reconciliation with god even if it doesn't look very pretty at stages during the course of it so are there things that you would want to share that are from perhaps more recent so i mean you've you've kind of you you went to you went on your gap year with tear fund i guess you probably came back you went to uni and did some stuff um and now now you've just got married 5 5 months ago. So we're we're talking yeah. in, in February 2021. So is there anything from your more recent life that you'd want to reflect on in terms of God's companionship with you?
1: Yeah, I think I I would love to talk about how um how God shows up in friends. And every time we moved to a new place, even like, you know, went to uni, came back from uni, um, started a new job, started another new job, like all of those different things. And every time I was like, God, please may I have a friend. And that started as a childlike prayer when I was like 11. God, yeah. please can I have a friend. Yeah. Um, And it's been my prayer ever since, every time I'm in a new situation. And I make a point of praying it for my godchildren as well, like, God, please give them a friend. Mm. Um, And God has always, always shown up in, in friends and then mm. people who just are just there. One of, one of the beautiful things about growing up in an open home is that you, along the way, you pick up surrogate siblings. Um, so people who um, who would like come and hang out with us and have dinner with us every night and people who spend their 21st birthday taking you to the fair and stuff. And um, some of these are now like um, godparents to their children mm. um, and mm. people like that. And, and one of these um, people has become like literally my best friend in the world mm. um and um she uh, she was an undergraduate um and then uh, basically a few, a few years ago she she was having a different time she got signed off work with stress and she um she decided to come and stay for a weekend at my um at my parents parents house and six weeks later she was still there and um <laughs> and she I love it. I I love that my parents are so chill about that. And they're just like, yeah, sure. Why not? Come on in. Maybe maybe
0: it might have crossed their mind that that was going to happen anyway. You never know.
1: (laughs) I think it did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And um, she, she taught me so much about this. I must've been about 17 and still am I kind of angry? um, Not happy with God. Lots of not happy. Don't really like myself phase. She taught me so much about what it meant to be me and what it meant to be an introvert in a house of mainly extroverts in a vicarage. Okay. And, yeah. um, and a few, a few years later, um, just about 18 months ago now, um, she, um, she asked me to, um, go to court with her uh, as she was giving a victim impact statement for something that had happened when, um, when she was a child mm-hmm. and, um, I don't know if you've ever spent any time in a in a courtroom and heard Victor Impact statements for um sexual abuse, but um yeah, I can't really put words to it, but mm. I think mm. it was in it was in that moment that I understood why God is a god of justice um and The judge in in the case, it was a sentencing hearing, hence the victim impact statement. The judge held, and I know the judge held in harmony, justice, and mercy in a way which I hadn't expected. But to hear the victim impact statement and to have witnessed by walking alongside this friend the brokenness that had come out of this act. And then to see justice done,
0: mm.
1: I was like, oh, God, you make a lot more sense now mm. because you don't, God is not a God who brushes sin under the carpet, mm. Mm. Um, but he's also not a God who throws a perpetrator to the wolves. And that that understanding of seeing, seeing justice done in a way which was completely unexpected and sitting there and hearing Mm. um, what had happened and the impact that it had. I was just really struck by the significance and the importance of justice and getting justice Mm. done. And Mm. this was like three weeks before a week before i interviewed for my job at international justice Mission, i talked about this in the interview and just sobbed my way through it weird don't cry on a job interview it's a really weird vibe um i'm
0: still employed but, um,
1: yeah no weird and <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one, yeah. Of the, one of the things that igm does is they seek justice for people like they they not just re- they don't just rescue but they like take them through the courts and see justice done like even yes. after like yes. 12 years yeah. Of like court cases, and for me, I just seeing understanding that that it, it it kind of links back to to me raging at God and God being like, "You have a right to be angry," mm. and a, a God who isn't British <laughs> and isn't <laughs> fine, won't you? Like it's okay, like everything worked out all right. He's like, "No, justice matters. Like yeah. justice matters because you matter," and I just holding beginning to understand I love I love learning about I love theology I'm a theological nerd um I did a theology degree at Durham and I just love trying to understand those uh, seemingly contradictory aspects of God's character yeah like
0: yeah
1: justice and mercy and you're like eh, this doesn't make sense like how do we how do we hold these two intention God yeah. like I struggle with it on a daily basis but uh, I just yeah
0: that's great it isn't easy is it things that are held god holds so many things in tension i guess and his wisdom is in the in the midst of that tension and it isn't straightforward or easy as you say it's not it's not like pretending that justice doesn't matter or pretending that it's only mercy or indeed pretending it's only justice it's it's something more okay we're we're coming towards the end of our our time now is there anything else that you wanted to share with us any other reflections you've got on your journey with god or your companionship with god at all
1: i think for me it's it's coming back to what i learned possibly with hindsight is that god is often to be found in the quietest and the most unlikely of places and when everything it feels like everything is falling apart God is not a God who panics. That's a line in a prayer book that I use a lot, every moment holy. And um, you are not a God who panics. Um, Hmm. And just beginning to understand that God doesn't always show up as much as we we might want him to with a crash of thunder and a bolt of lightning and everything being all right again. And he doesn't always show up in scholarships for private schools or miraculous school places or no money on the doorstep or anything like that. Sometimes he just shows up in the people around us who chose to show up and stick around. And I guess that kind of links back to to me being three years old and sitting on someone's lap and loving them yeah. and God always repaying in unexpected and magnificent ways. Of like, and it's not like a you do this so I'll so then no, God it's will not. do that. It's, that's not how yeah. it works. Don't miss hear me here, but sure. God just showing up in that unexpected unlikely places and if we look for him we will find him not necessarily where we want him but where we need him Um, and so even even in the midst of dumpster fires and not knowing if we're gonna if we're gonna like have a house in three weeks and not you know not knowing what the next step is God shows up in meal vouchers he shows up in the in the friend who let me sit on his kitchen floor and just cry into my tea um, because I was just really sad. And he showed up in the cup of tea, and he showed up in the dinner that they cooked to me, and he showed up in um, and I he showed up in you know the friend's life when we could have her to stay, and he always shows up. And I think my 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 comfort and my challenge is. God always shows up, and then where is He asking me to show up? Um, where is He asking me to just show up and stick around and love relentlessly? Mm. Mm. Um, and how am I looking to see how He does that for me?
0: Mm. Wonderful, Eleanor. Thank you very much for your time. That's been that's been quite a journey <laughs> through Thanks those for stories. Me. Bless you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Testimony Podcast. You can subscribe to The Testimony Podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast and Instagram at TestimonyPodcast. If you want to find out more about the Christian faith and connect with someone to talk about your experiences or answer your questions, just go to www.christianity.org.uk from wherever you are in the world. That's www.christianity.org.uk I look forward to sharing more of the stories that matter from people of faith with you soon. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye.